the lady, but God said you asked for a sign, not here's your sign. Uh, just to, just to note the little difference. Uh, and also, um, if you are here, boy, I forgot the second one after that. If you're here and you dropped $5, now not all of you dropped $5, but if you dropped $5, someone found it, gave it to me, and I put it in the offering plate. Uh, so if you need $5 back, uh, Blunt Knowles will give it to you. Uh, <laughs> sound good? <laughs> So uh, if you've got your copy of God's Word, if you would take it and go ahead and turn to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to bounce around to a handful of different scriptures, but uh, with uh, this coming Thursday being Thanksgiving, uh, I've got a, a, just a handful of things that I want to present to you that are outside of the norm for a sermon here, but uh, there's just a lot of things that I personally have been thankful for uh, in and around our church, and I want to lay some of them out for you. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, enter into this time of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for so much that we have to be thankful for. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have forgiveness of sins. And Father, we thank you for this place where we can come and we can worship free of uh, torment or persecution. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray and we thank you for our families. Uh, we thank you that we can be gathered around loved ones during this season. And Lord, we, we also thank you for uh, those of us who have lost loved ones. We thank you that during this uh, time of Thanksgiving, that if their faith was in you, that they are worshiping around your throne during this time. And so we're thankful for all of those things. Lord, I pray that during this, uh, the rest of this hour, Lord, that you would feed your people, and I pray that you would use me to do it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we uh, enter into a, a time of Thanksgiving, I've got uh, uh, started out with some of the ladies, and so I'm going to do my best. Uh, you guys uh, don't like to be thanked publicly, many of you, so this is the perfect setting to do it. So I'm not going to name any names. Uh, I will allude to maybe uh, one or two of you, but uh, you, you always... M- leave somebody out. And so just a blanket thank you to everybody here at the church while we start. Um, but uh, during this year, uh, I lost my grandmother. And so I'm just overly thankful uh, for the grandmother that I had. Many of you had great grandmothers as well. But there's one thing here recently that I've been, uh, been taking notice of that my grandmother was good at that she never mentioned. Like, Hopefully all of you had older people in your life that just did things. They didn't beat you over the head telling you things. They just modeled things. And one of the things that my wife and I have noticed that my grandmother was spectacular at was that all of the little things she did super well. Like when I was growing up as a teenager and we would, all of the cousins and such, we would get together at grandma's house and grandma could keep up with who all of the cousins were dating and if they were coming to Christmas Eve or not. And grandma would have a Christmas gift for every boyfriend or girlfriend, albeit good or bad, that was coming to the house, right? So even if some of my female cousins were dating absolute scumbags, grandma still got them a present and that was important to her, right? You guys all have a grandmother like that. Hopefully you're becoming that person also. And so as, as my wife and I, this Thanksgiving season have kind of been thinking about my grandmother, uh, we realized that all of the big things she did great also. But the reason that the big things were so great is because she was there in all of the little times also. And so uh, that's going to lead into one of the things that I'm, other things that I'm thankful for. But, uh, wow, for all of you folks that are grandparents and are teaching your children and your grandchildren these lessons, even if they don't take notice, keep up the good work because they'll notice one day. You might not be around to see them notice, but one day, whether you get a thank you or not, they're thankful. 
And so uh, that leads into um, another lady in the church that I'm very thankful for. So there was a WMU meeting the other day, and this is a self-incriminating story. So there's a WMU meeting the other day. My wife comes home, and she tells me a little bit about it. And my wife happened to know more than most of the women who were in attendance about this one little thing. And so the ladies just got done collecting shoeboxes, right? We collected uh, almost 70 shoeboxes and sent them off uh, after the service the other day. We loaded them all in the trunk, and it was really neat. And I was really excited to see all that you guys had done in bringing shoeboxes to send them off to other countries. And just a note on that, I've been to some of the countries where these shoeboxes go, and I've seen people not playing with the toys, but I've seen people with, like, herb, herb gardens inside of the boxes in the windows and so sometimes the houses that these boxes go to even the box they get use out of that's how impoverished some of these places are and so that was neat in and of itself but at the meeting some of the ladies thought that we should have advertised better the shoebox ministry and there was a lady at the meeting who tried to do that by asking me to play a video a couple weeks ago and i forgot to play the video and this particular lady sat through the whole meeting when the ladies were talking about advertising better and never once threw me under the bus for forgetting to advertise the women's shoebox ministry. And so to that lady who knows who she is, thank you. I appreciate that more than you could ever imagine. But in saying that, uh, there are times when, uh, when we do just that, when we know something that somebody missed out on doing and we keep it to ourselves and we save them from what could be public disgrace, that goes a long ways in building up and edifying the body, big time. And so thank you for who that person was. Now I want to walk you through uh, a couple of biblical things that, that I've really been stewing on. Uh, most of you know that this is my first pastorate. This is the first place that ever had the courage to call me to be a full-time senior pastor at their church. And so that maybe say something about me and it maybe say something about you also. Uh, but either way, uh, being a pastor can be somewhat of a, a cumbersome vocation, not in that the work I do is backbreaking, but that sometimes when you read the scriptures, the, the work of a pastor is uh, sometimes emotionally daunting. Like this, you, you have a, a big responsibility to keep the sheep fed, to feed them spiritually and to sometimes corral them when they get a little out of hand. And just the, there's a wide range of responsibilities that come up at different times. And if you look back through history, all of your big name pastors, all of your Martin Luther's, all of your uh, Jonathan Edwards, all of those guys who were big time pastors, they all suffered with depression. Like it's chronic depression runs rampant through people who have been in the ministry. And so uh, there have been times throughout this last year where sometimes the task has been overwhelming. But but God brought me to a scripture that we've read before. And I know you guys are probably tired of Matthew by now, uh, but I want to read this verse to you. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I'm in uh, Matthew chapter 16. I'm in verse 15 now. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so there's been times where uh, I feel like maybe I've put myself under a little bit more stress than I should have. And so I come to this passage and I see Peter figures out who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And on that rock, on that statement of me being the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, I will build my church. And so there was a time where I was like, man, this thing is, is not, uh, this thing is not going as I, as smooth as I thought it should go. What am I going to do? And God brings me to the, Jesus brings me to this first. And he says, it's not your job to build anything. He says, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to build it on that statement. And so just recently, uh, there's a popular pastor uh, out of Woodstock, Georgia. His name is Johnny Hunt. Uh, he is probably in his early 60s and real, real famous guy in the pastor world. Uh, just a real godly guy, real smart guy. And uh, boy, he can preach the pain off of the walls. And so somebody came to him one day and he said, Johnny, how can I pray for you? And this is what he said. I want you to pray that God would keep me clean and that God would keep me close. And so I want to ask you to do the same thing for me. Because God has shown me that it's not my job to build his kingdoms, it's his job. And you can look other places in scripture, and it's our job as believers in Christ to stay clean and to stay close and to let him work through us. And so I am overwhelmingly thankful uh, for the scriptures that God gives us uh, at different times. And I would covet your prayers in that specific uh, in that specific manner. And so another thing that um, I want to run you through is um, in the midst of uh, being a pastor, and I'm not saying any of this, I hope that this thing doesn't come across as, hey, look at me. I just want you to see how grateful I am and just to see kind of where life is. And so when I was in that kind of season of getting a little bit overwhelmed, uh, I had bought a house about a year ago and I've been fixing this thing up and fixing this thing up and fixing it up. And every time I get on a roll, just the wheels fall off of the church. And so just to give you an example, the other day I took a day off and I'm working at the house and I'm getting it done. Like I'm knocking it out left and right. And I get a phone call that Bob Spivey's in the hospital. He's been in an accident. Shirley's in the hospital. And just like all of you seem to be in the hospital, like you weren't all in the hospital, but it seemed like it. And so I just drop the hammer and say, I can't keep working. If all these great church members are are in the hospital, I've got to go see them and serve them. And so I leave and do that. And this is what's leading to this uh, sense of overwhelmingment. And so also I I did some math this morning, you know, I'm not good in math, but last year in the midst of this busyness, uh, I preached 149 messages and you go, Wow, that seems like a lot. That's what I thought too. Uh, but 149 different times I had an opportunity to preach or teach something. And so that's what's leading to this overwhelmingment. And you go to a passage like the book of Proverbs. And uh, you don't have to turn there. Actually, like Psalm. Uh, the Psalm says, this is in uh, Psalm 19, verse 7. Like I say, I'm going to turn to a lot of different ones. You don't have to turn there. Uh, this Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 says, The law... Of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. So the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And so in the midst of being, uh, at least feeling overwhelmed, maybe not actually being overwhelmed, uh, and, and preaching 149 different messages, uh, I was reminded of this old guy that I met in seminary. 
and this old guy, he was a preaching professor, and he kept talking about uh, the need to have a daily quiet time with God outside of your sermon prep time, right? So in preaching 149 times, like I'm in the word, like I'm reading this thing and I'm preaching. I'm telling you, those 149 sermons were awesome, right? And like you had had to be in the word to preach 149 messages like that. Like I know all of you aren't convinced, but it's true. But anyway, so I'm, I'm in the word and I'm, and I'm preparing for these messages and I keep feeling, though, like I'm getting farther and farther and farther away from the Lord in the midst of delivering his word and doing all of the things that I felt like he wanted me to do. And so I, I remembered that counsel from that old guy. And I started getting into the word for myself outside of for you guys and for teaching things. And I want you to know that I'm incredibly grateful that this Psalm 19 verse 7 is true, that the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul. Uh, I found myself, in order to be diligent in serving God in my personal life outside of being a pastor, that I needed to be more in the Word than I was just for you guys. And I want you to know that many of you have schedules that are much more hectic than mine. I feel like yours may be more predictable at times, but uh, you guys are just as busy or busier than I am. In the days that I had a lot to do, when I took 5, 10, 15 minutes to get into His Word, to stop what I was doing, and to seek the counsel of the Lord, whether I felt like I needed it or not, those days ran smoother than any other days that I had. And I got twice as much done in those days than I did days where I flew solo. And so if you're stressed and you're overwhelmed this season... The same Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 is perfect for you. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. God's word speaks volumes into our lives. And whether or not, whether or not what you're reading applies to what you're doing right then or not, it still helps. And so I want to encourage you to get into the word for yourself and not just for Sunday school and for other times also when you have to deliver because you'll find the effects of it just bless you on a, on an innumerable scale. And so all of these things are going on. And uh, another one is over in the book of Proverbs. Uh, you can turn there or not, but I'm in Proverbs chapter 18. This is one of the things that I've been uh, reminded of this year. Proverbs chapter 18. This is verse 22. Proverbs 18:22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so we've been at this thing for uh, two and a half years together. And uh, I want you guys to know that I have found a good wife. Not like another one, but like the one that I have is a good one. And I want you guys to know that if you think that I have done anything worthwhile at this church. It's because behind every good man is a great woman. And I have one. And I want you to know that the role of uh, being a wife is difficult enough in and of itself. Like, if you're here and you're a wife, I have an immense amount of empathy for you, right? Even my wife. Like, I get it that it's a tough job, that men are... uh, We smell bad. We have odd habits. Um, the older you get, the stranger places hair grow. Like, I get all of these difficulties of, of being a wife. Like, I, I'm with you. I understand. And on top of being a phenomenal wife, she has to step into the role of not just being a wife, but being a wife to the pastor, 
which has a whole nother group of difficulties that, that come into play. And so I know that she may not be everywhere that you think she should be, but she walks with the Lord and has the Holy Spirit as her guide. And she doesn't serve just you. She serves with me, the Lord, and she serves the greater church. And so uh, I want to tell you thank you and that I love you and that uh, she couldn't do a better job from my perspective walking with the Lord. And so I am uh, incredibly thankful for my wife. And so that takes us on to, she's going to kill me at lunch. Like I'm probably on my own for lunch. And so if you want to invite us out to lunch, I will pay for all of us to eat lunch. Um, uh, I want to walk you to uh, some of the things I've seen you guys doing throughout the year. Uh, you guys as a whole, not just guys, but I mean guys in a general term, you guys as the church, you do things on a regular basis that sometimes seem normal to you, but they impress me and encourage me to be a better person also. And so there's times that I'm with you all that I see you and your generosity or I catch wind out in town of something that you may have done. And I am always impressed with your generosity as a church. Some of you with your time and some of you with your talents and your money as well. And so let me tell you just a couple stories of things that, uh, that I've seen and I'll, I'll leave names out of them. Uh, I had a family come visit us. The family uh, came to visit us for a little while, and their son was getting into a lot of trouble. And so the son lived with us for about a two-week period. Uh, the family went away, and they just left the son with him. And uh, I just spent all my time uh, at work with the boy and doing other things. And so I went to visit one of you who had just gotten back from fishing. Uh, it just so happened that I swung by when you were done fishing, and uh, so the boy came with me. And we had a good visit. Everything was great. And when we, we left and we went back to the car, I had to go back to ask another question to somebody in the church. And when I went back to ask them another question, they said, they were cleaning out the boat. And they said, hey, does that young man that you're with have a fishing pole? I don't know if he's got a fishing pole. Uh, my guess would be no. And so one of you said, here, take this fishing pole, give it to the young boy. That doesn't seem like a very big thing. Man, that rocked my world for a week straight. That you would be using some of your things, see somebody else in need that needed somebody in, in this world to be nice to them and go above and beyond. And you put a fishing pole in that kid's hand, not expecting absolutely anything in return. That's the sort of thing that makes me take the kid to Walmart, get him some string, and get him a couple of fishing lures. I never would have taken the kid and done that, but because of your generosity... I step up to the plate even more also. Then, uh, there are Sunday school, if you're in this church and you're not in a Sunday school class, you need to get into one, right? You need to find you one that you like because there's all sorts of good that happens through our Sunday school classes. And so, uh, there was uh, a person who's going through a time of financial need in our Sunday school class or an individual pass the plate and they come up with a collection. I happened to be going to visit that person, so the Sunday school class or the person that wants to give money puts the money in my hand to deliver to the person. I don't like delivering money, just so you know, because whenever you give me money, the only place I have to put it is in my pocket. And I feel like it always looks weird when the pastor takes money and puts it in his pocket from somebody else. I just have a, a funny thing about it. So I take this money, and I give it to the person who I am happen to having lunch with. I'm having lunch with them, and I said, hey, some people or person had this money and they wanted you to have it and we're praying for you. And that person was overwhelmed with gratitude. They said, thank you. They took an envelope out of their pocket, 
and slid it back across the table. And they said, we have been blessed beyond measure. We want to give this money to someone else who is in need. And they told me who they thought that money should go to. And so we as a church, we collect money for one person or family. And then that family says, we have more than we could ever imagine. And they pass that blessing right along to another family who they thought was in more need of them. Man, that's the kind of stuff that gives me chill bumps and makes me grateful to be that person's pastor. Because listen, from what I've seen, when you give money to people in our church, they are very, very good at the way that they, they're very good stewards of the resources that we give them. And just because you give somebody something, that doesn't mean that that's the be all end all. Sometimes they're taking that and they're being a blessing to someone else and you never know where it's going to stop. And so those are some of the, the neat things that I get to see. And on top of all of that, um, we just uh, voted on a new church budget. Uh, the deacons have put it together. They're going to present it to you. And when I look at our church budget, I think it's a great one. And I look at all of the things and all of the places where we, where we have ministry line items and we don't spend all of that money. And I see that we're doing a lot of great things as a church, but we're not always spending the money that matches with the amounts that we're doing. And I'm encouraged, not because you're not spending all your money, but because what a lot of you do is that you spend money on ministries for the church and you never turn any receipts. You just treat that as a gift that's above and beyond your tithe. And that is very, very encouraging as your pastor to see your generosity in serving the Lord in areas outside of you giving your tithe, but you're going above and beyond and you're spending your money serving the Lord on behalf of our church. I mean, that stuff doesn't always happen. And so I'm grateful for you guys and the way that you spend your resources more than you could ever imagine. Then we go on to, uh, I'm going to flip over to the book of John. This is John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34. You can turn there or, or just listen. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so I I don't only see you guys and us as a church being kind to each other with your resources. I see you guys going above and beyond serving each other out of love. And so I'm going to leave a ton out, but I just wrote down a few. Um, about this time, maybe a little bit earlier last year, we had a church-wide fast for the grandson of a couple in this church who was going through some medical problems. I was absolutely blown away by the ch- participation church-wide at a fast. So a crazy preacher stands up and says, hey, here's a young man, and we love his family, and we need to pray for him, and the Lord says that we should fast and pray. And so I get us together and we have a church-wide fast. And more of you participate in the church-wide fast than have ever come to any one Wednesday night service we've ever had. Totally encouraging that a group of you that large would skip eating for 24 hours to pray for the sake of someone that you care dearly about. It's easy to skip one meal for somebody. But to ask good southern folks like us to skip a whole day's worth of meals... Just to pray for somebody, that's a big deal. And it's not something uh, that I take very lightly that you guys did. And I see over and over and over again us, you guys, taking care of our own 
incredibly well. I go visit Joan and Shelton, much like I, I could never visit Joan and Shelton again, and they would know that our church loves them and cares about them unbelievably because there's always one of you visiting them, which is awesome. And so I get to talking to, to Joan, and Joan tells me that she hasn't cooked a dinner since Shelton had his stroke, which is about a year or more ago. And so the reason that Joan, it's not that Joan is lazy, but Joan hasn't had to cook a dinner because you all are bringing her dinner all the time. That doesn't happen everywhere, guys. That is you all. That is us loving one another as Christ loved us and pouring out that love for people in tangible ways. And you can't put an amount of money or a value on how great of love that everyone has shown Joan and Shelton and a lot of the other people who have gone through things at the church. And uh, this last year uh, hasn't been my best year ever, but you guys uh, at certain times showed up for my family and I when we needed you. I had a son who had appendicitis about a year ago. You guys, some of you, showed up at the hospital all the way in Norfolk, Virginia, made an hour and a half drive just to let us know that you cared about us. That's a big deal. We were there for a week. Um, my grandmother had cancer surgery in the ghetto of Portsmouth, Virginia. And I look out the window and I see two church members walking up to the hospital early in the morning when my, gra- when my mother had cancer surgery. That's a big deal to take time off work to show someone that you care about them. Also, uh, during the time of my grandmother's funeral, that's another Portsmouth, Virginia trip, several of you church members came out to my grandmother's funeral. And when I saw you come through the funeral home line, it was like, wow. Like, I knew, I knew they cared about me. But these guys right here, they took time out of their schedule, and they all came together, and they visited us when we really needed them. Guys, this is the stuff. This is the stuff that makes the church incredibly marketable. This is us being the hands and feet of Christ. And people see it and they feel it and they want to be a part of it. And the reason that we're able to be all of these things that I'm seeing you be is because Christ loved us first when we were unlovable. And so when we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And so we don't deserve anybody to do anything good on our behalf, but he does it for us. And because he has so richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing, we then can be a blessing to all other people. And that's what's so cool about following Christ. And so there's all these other things that are going on. Uh, and the last one that I've got listed under love for other people is that uh, I remember about a year ago when I presented to the deacons that I wanted us to think about bringing on a youth and children's pastor. I remember their faces when they could remember back to their children having a youth and children's pastor when they were growing up. And I know from that meeting how much they care about your children and that they were unanimous in bringing on a youth and children's pastor because they knew it's what was best for your children and for your grandchildren. Because they knew that if we were going to be the church we needed to be, that we needed to step up to the plate and step up and step out in faith and trust that the Lord would provide in this area. Cannot tell you how grateful I am in seeing all of those things. And then if you go over to the book of Galatians, I've got two more passages of Scripture that I want to walk you to. And these are two uh, of the spiritual truths that, that I've slowly been walking through. Um, 
my wife and I went on a pastor's retreat uh, at the end of the summer. Our whole family went to Ocracoke and went to the best pastor's retreat I've ever been to. And leading up to this pastor's retreat, uh, I felt like the Lord was working on me in a couple of different ways. And he was really showing me, and I'm going to lay all this out for you over the course of the next, uh, the beginning of the next year. But he was really impressing on me the nature of the gospel. What is the gospel at its core? And so this book happens to land, not just the, the scripture, but I start reading this other book that's all about the gospel. And it was this book that came along at a perfect time and complemented the things that I had been reading in the scriptures so well. And so I'm reading in the scriptures, I'm reading through Galatians, and I read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. I read Galatians three twenty-seven: For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so, for some reason, that particular verse in my quiet time jumps out at me. Those of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And it doesn't seem like a real shocker of a verse, but I was thinking, I've been, I've been baptized with Christ. Like, if you read the scriptures and you read Corinthians, that when we get baptized, when we get immersed into Christ, we die to ourselves and we're raised to Christ. And so, even when I feel like I'm at my worst day, I'm still sold out to Jesus Christ. Because I want to please him with every fiber of my being. But sometimes, just like you all, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So my spirit is where it needs to be. But sometimes I just feel like I fail on a daily basis. And I read this verse. And it says that you who are baptized into Christ, and I go, yeah, that's me. You who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And I'm reading this book about the gospel too. And this being clothed with Christ and it's just so encouraging that when, when my spirit is in its right place, when I'm following the Lord in faith, right? I'm following the Lord in faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I've repented of my sins. I, I believe that He rose from the dead, and I'm eagerly striving to please Him each and every day. Sometimes I slip into a works-based salvation. Like, if I do the right things the right way, God will love me more. That's my natural bent to fall into. That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel says if you've been baptized in Christ, you've been clothed with Christ also. And so what this means is that when God is looking down from heaven at you and he sees you, you've been baptized with Christ, you're following in him in faith, that even when you don't feel like things are going the way that they should be, you've been clothed with Christ. And so when he looks down from heaven and he sees you, he sees Christ. Boy, that will help you. To sleep like an absolute baby. Because you don't have to be doing everything right and getting the right results. It's your job and my job to be walking with Christ in faith. And when we do that, he sees Christ. But then sometimes you think, yeah, maybe he sees Christ on the outside. But boy, this inside is rotten as it can be. And you go over to a, a, a book like Romans. You go over to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 gives you even more to be thankful for. And we'll spend more time, like I say, after the first of the year on some of these verses. But this will, this will help you to eat Thanksgiving dinner and be thankful for more than you could ever imagine. So you're in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And Romans chapter 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it means no matter what, now that you're in Christ, you're walking in faith, there's no condemnation for you no matter how you feel. So it doesn't matter how you wake up and how you feel. That's irrelevant. If you're in Christ, no condemnation for you. That's good. So now you're not going to be condemned. And when he looks at you, he sees Christ. And then it gets better in chapter 8, verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit 
of, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So you've been set free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so you and I, Old Testament, would have had to keep the law. And we were unable to keep the law. So you were unable to obtain righteousness through the law, through doing all of those things. But God did it, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4, this is the exciting part. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so the big theological term that we use for this is that Jesus became a man. He lived a perfect life. That perfect, righteous life that you're not able to live, he lived it, and then he imputed that to your life. This is what we call, it's a big term called imputed righteousness. And so not only in the book of Galatians are you clothed with Christ if you're following Christ in faith, but Romans chapter 8 verse 4 says that Christ's righteousness that he fulfilled that you never could has been imputed to your life, and now you're clothed with Christ on the outside, and God's righteousness is on your inside also. A righteousness that you never could have attained apart from Christ. Like you can't obey the law enough to be righteous. Because one time sinning makes you unrighteous. And so when you're sitting around the table. And you're looking for something to be thankful for. Because you know that somebody's going to ask you. What are you thankful for on Thanksgiving? You can be thankful. That if you're in Christ. If you've put your faith in Christ. In his death, burial, and resurrection. If you've repented of your sins. That you've been clothed with Christ. That when God looks down and he sees you, he sees Christ. And the, the divine wrath that you deserve, Christ took it all. Christ was perfect. And he sees that when he looks at you. And also, your insides that we think only we know are rotten inside. Our heart that's deceitfully wicked. You know when you bite your tongue and people go, wow, that's a real godly individual. He didn't say what he wanted to say. Oh, but he thought it. Right? And he has to pay for those thoughts. Christ's righteousness was imputed to you also on the inside. And so, brothers and sisters, everything that we walked through last week that Christ took on the cross, all of that cup that he had to drink, you and I deserve. But he took it for us. And he gave us all of his blessings, and he took all of the wrath that we deserve. And boy, what more could you be thankful for that it's just our job to keep walking in faith. And so the last thing that I'm thankful for that's tied up in these things is that Christ doesn't expect perfection from us. He expects us to walk by faith. And when we do that, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and we're clothed with Christ. And so God takes us and he picks us up and he dusts us off and he gives us every blessing that you could ever imagine simply for having faith in Christ. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, if you don't know anything about the things that I talked about, let me tell you that following Christ is the only life worth living. That you can do your best, do your best, do your best, and it not be good enough. Or you could put your faith in Christ and you try your best and God makes up for the rest. You can't buy this sort of thing. And so that is a life that is only found in Christ. To have your sins forgiven, to have an eternal home in heaven, all of that is only found through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here, you've never 
given your life to Christ. I want to encourage you during our time of invitation to make it the time that you do that. I also want to encourage you that if you're here and you have absolutely anything that you want to be thankful for and you want to thank God at the altar, you don't have to talk to me, but you're welcome to come down to the altar and thank God for all of the things in your life that you have to be grateful for. And the list could have gone on and on and on, but I know that at some point you want to eat lunch today. Amen? All right. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's try to continue this uh, spirit of thanksgiving all the way through this week uh, during this season of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for a church that is the hands and feet of Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have richly blessed us and we can turn around and be immensely generous to those around us also. Lord, I thank you for all of the things that we have in Christ. Lord, I thank you that you give me your righteousness, even when mine's not enough. Lord, I thank you that despite my best efforts, you still clothe me with Christ. And that when you look at me and when you answer my prayers, that you are answering them on behalf of Christ. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be perfect, but that we can walk by faith. And you treat us as if we were. Father, I thank you for all that. Lord, I thank you again for our church family. Lord, I thank you for those members of our church family who are not able to be here with us today. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that they are to us, even in their absence. And Father, we pray all these things, knowing that you are more than able uh, to answer our prayers and that you are more great than we could ever possibly imagine. And we're forever thankful. That's in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. Well, I want to thank you all for coming uh, today. Uh, I want you to know that uh, I love you all. and I'm grateful for you all, uh, each uh, in your own special way. And so uh, each of you uh, help make this church exactly what it is. Uh, we're all different. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And I think that uh, we complement each other quite well. And so thank you. Um, let me ask... Um, I don't. I want to remind you uh, about the brief deacons meeting following the service. So, uh, if you're a deacon, don't slip out without us speaking real quick. I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close us in prayer.